1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff, here with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and Sam Dykstra. You uh, may know these three as uh, our prospect gurus, the uh, authors of the top 100 prospects list, and all of our top 30 team rankings. Bringing everybody together here on the podcast today because we just put out the new 2024 Top 100 Prospects list. Uh, if you didn't see the show on MLB Network uh, on Friday night, you can go to MLB Pipeline and uh, and find it there. The full show and the post game show. The what do we call that? Pipeline Pipelines Prospect Post Game. Say that without popping your peas. Impossible. Impossible. So yeah, I mean, we're going to spend uh, pretty much the entirety of this episode digging into that. Top 100 list, uh, and uh, a large portion of it, we're going to spend answering your questions. Well, depending if if you if you're listening and you asked a question, it's possible we'll answer your question. But if you're listening, uh, we're not necessarily going to be answering your question because perhaps you didn't actually ask one. That would be difficult. But we are going to answer a bunch of questions. But first, before answering questions, uh, we're going to sort of break down the list a little bit. Why don't we? We didn't discuss this, but we should probably tell people uh, who's on the list, not the entire list, but maybe start at the top. Read all 100. Well, you're the, you're the speed reader. <laughs> but, uh, I don't even think with your speedy reading, we we'll want to do that. Let's, let's go over the top 10. And this will look pretty similar to what we kind of left off uh, where we left off last year. It uh, goes Jackson Holiday, Jackson Cheerio. This is just the top 100 Jacksons in baseball. <laughs> Jackson Merrill. No, uh, top 10. Jackson Holiday, Jackson Churio, Paul Skeens, Junior Camonero of the Rays, Evan Carter of the Rangers. Oh, look, another Ranger, Wyatt Langford. both outfield prospects. Another outfield prospect, Dylan Cruz of the Nets. Ethan Salas, the youngest player on the entire list, is number eight, Padres catching prospect. Colson Montgomery. He's climbing up this list. He's number nine, the White Sox shortstop prospect, and Walker Jenkins, Twins outfield prospect, is number ten. Let's talk about the top of this list, Jackson Holiday. I'm going to assume a slam dunk.
0: Yeah, I mean, we all voted him the number one prospect, and I do think it it was a pretty easy decision. I mean, it was for, as talented as Jackson Chorio is. You know, we keep talking about, and we talked about in the Top 100 Prospects show, you know, Jackson Holiday. you know, rose four levels. I think he's a career, what, 320 hitter right now in pro ball. And I'm not saying he's the best prospect since this guy, but the only other guy, and we've talked about this on the podcast too, that I can remember moving four levels in one season like that was A-Rod. And A-Rod finished in the big leagues, and Arod is the best prospect I've ever seen. I'm not saying Jackson Holiday's. You know, a Rod, he's going to hit 600 plus home runs and everything else, but I, I just think the hitting ability is so advanced. It was a it was a pretty easy decision for me, as much as I like Jackson Churia.
2: You know, I, th- I think it was pretty easy. I, maybe it's a, a layup of a finger roll, maybe not a standout, <laughs> but not in a Patrick Ewing blow the game against the Pacers kind of finger roll. Sorry, that was triggering. Um, you know, Sam, you remember scouting a Rod as a prospect, don't you? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, I, I think uh, Jim, uh, you summed it up uh, nicely. He was the clear choice, uh, you know, based on, you know, I think it's rare to have a guy who's the number one overall pick and the, the hype and spotlight that comes along with it. And then far exceeds whatever expectations you may have had for that, for, for that player. And that's exactly what Jackson holiday did last year.
3: Yeah, and if you want to look at Jackson Churio specifically and, and have that debate one versus two, Jackson Churio, as good as he is and as, you know, superstar p- potential that he has, he had kind of an uneven year last year. Part of that was dealing with a Southern League ball. He was aggressively pushed to to double A, you know, in his age nineteen season. He's still not going to turn twenty until next month. But Jackson Holiday proved himself basically at every level. He didn't really get challenged until triple A, which is insane to think about. You know, you'd think, oh, maybe he would hit a bump at double-A, but no, steamrolled through that. Gotcha AAA was showing adjustments by the time he got there. Jackson Churio, those adjustments took longer. So if you're w- willing to bet on one prospect being the longer-term, you know, higher value, yes, Jackson Churio is faster. Yes, he may have a better chance of playing a premium position considering he's going to be center field, while Jackson Holiday might move to second. But Holiday's going to hit no matter what, and it, he's going to stay up the middle, and it's going to be, you know, It's really, really easy to bet on that bet.
1: All right, and number three on the list is both the first pitcher on the list and the first member of the 2023 draft class. Not a lot of pitchers up high on the list, but a lot of 2023 draftees up high
2: on the list. Is this the time we lay out and let Jim do his usual, like, you have it down, I think, right, your little speech about the top five players from last year's draft?
0: I can. I thought you were going to go ahead as a as, as <laughs> I mean, draft I, guru. I, but I, I, I didn't you. want to step on your toes, you know, Jim. I, mean, I, I can throw out the, the, the standard line about how you know we had five number one overall pick caliber players. You know, The order they went was Paul Skeens to the Pirates, Dylan Cruz to the Nationals, Max Clark to the Tigers, White Langford to the Rangers, Walker Jenkins to the Twins. Uh, Rangers and Twins, very thankful that a draft lottery was instituted or they wouldn't have had those picks um, but yeah, I mean, it's you, you aren't going to see a draft like that very often. We were aggressive. All five of those guys, we went what ranked Skeens third, Lankford sixth, Cruz seventh, Jenkins ten, Clark thirteenth. And you know, Jonathan, I'll, I'll let you segue here into your draft research. I mean, two years ago with the 2021 draft, we didn't have a single player from that draft in the top 13 players on the on the ensuing top 100 yeah, and
2: I make you do it, by the way, because I do not have confidence in remembering who took who where in the draft. Um, so that's, that's the, the only thing I can remember right now' that, <laughs> that's, it. that's the that's the real reason. but you, you manage like you, you work in the draft lottery. it's uh, it's not often that I call you succinct, but in in this case, you really you, you really nail it. Um, yeah, it, it we looked at last year's draft class as being one of the best, you know that we've seen, and we may, you know, years from now look at it. Uh, you know, and talk about the same hushed tones that we do, like the with the 2005 draft or the 85 draft. Um, and compared to the last three years, it's not even close. It's sheer numbers, you know, mentioned the 18 guys that we have ranked. Uh, 14 is the most, you know, over the last few years between the 2022 draft class and the 2020 draft class. We had 11 from the 2021 draft class in the 2022 list. And as you pointed out, none, you know, as high. You know, Jackson Holiday was twelfth on the twenty twenty three preseason list. Marcelo Meyer was fourteenth on the twenty twenty two list. We had Spencer Torkelson number three. You know, that's the closest it came. But you know, they only had four players in the top thirty, uh, and that whole thing needs to have a bit of an asterisk, I think, because it was so hard to really evaluate what that draft class was like given the pandemic and how little people played and, and things, uh, things of that nature. So uh, we thought last year's draft class was unprecedented and we ranked them accordingly. They have to go out and play a full season, you know, uh, you know, a full season of pro ball, but uh, I, I'm bullish. I remain bullish on what they're going to accomplish this year.
0: I was just say I did a quick history note. I was thinking of the two most hyped draft prospects, probably, you know, before recent years were Steven Strasburg and, and Bryce Harper. And I went back and looked and Strasburg ranked second on his first preseason top 100 list behind Jason Hayward and Bryce Harper ranked third behind Mike Trout and Jeremy Helix. So three, three is pretty aggressive ranking for, for the history. I I don't know if I missed anybody in between those two guys in recent years, but I mean, that's, that's a very aggressive ranking and on all of them really.
3: Yeah, maybe this is my boilerplate uh, discussion point on the 2023 draft, but we have to remember that this was the college class that was affected by the 2020 draft and how it was short. You know, a lot of these guys could have been signed three years ago. I mean, we don't know who that would have been and what have you, but, you know, teams were willing to go more after college guys who they thought they could sign instead of trying to talk somebody out of a college commitment. So you look at Dylan Cruz going to school, you look at Tommy Troy going to school, Jacob Wilson going to school, like a lot of these guys went to college and became draft eligible last year. It was a deeper college core than we'll ever have, maybe, you know, knock on wood, we never have another five round draft. Um, But yeah, I think that's a big part of why you see a lot of these guys here. That doesn't affect the Max Clarks. It doesn't affect the Walker Jenkins, other than maybe they would have been drafted higher in a different year. Um, But I think it was just a combination of forces.
1: Yeah, so four 2023 20, draftees in the top 10, which is four times as many as there had been, <clears throat> excuse me, in the previous three drafts combined. Uh, only one in, in Torkelson. All right, so continuing on down the list, um, one guy, I, I mentioned that Colson Montgomery had climbed quite a bit, uh, but even before you get to him, next up on the list is Junior Caminero, And He's the player who made the biggest jump uh, of anyone who was already on the list last year, right? He made the biggest jump of somebody who wasn't on the list.
0: Yeah, yeah. He was not on the list oh, sorry. He, a he, year ago. Yeah, he, he went unranked to number four.
1: Got it. Right, right. Well, that was not on the preseason list of 2023. So talk, talk about some of the, uh,
3: the the biggest jumps here. Yeah, well, Junior Caminero, you know, where we were a year ago on him was he was kind of on the cusp of the top 100. He was somebody who hadn't had a full season's worth of at-bats yet. All the signs were there. He was hitting the ball hard for Tampa Bay. I remember talking to Rays people last year being like, well, he's in the top 100 for us. We understand why he's not for you yet, but just keep an eye on him. And then all of a sudden, you know, he starts out the year at high A. They don't send him back to single A. They push him straight to high A as a 19-year-old. He finishes the year with 31 homers. It was the most by a player playing in his teenage season last year. By far, it wasn't really close. And he had the exit velocities to match, the upper levels of the exit velocities to match that. Um, they have moved him from shortstop to third base, but he's still pretty capable there. I got to see him at the tail end last year when we had the MLB Pipeline Game of the Month in Biloxi that was against Montgomery. He looked pretty solid. He was moving like a former shortstop at third base. He had the range for it. Uh, you know, I – I think he's going to start out the year at AAA, but he's still only 20 years old uh, and already has a 30 plus homer season under his belt. So, you know, we're looking at potentially 35 to 40 homers at some point for Junior Caminero. The Rays will find a spot for him. Like he, he's somebody you make room for. That much is evident. And that's why we pushed him as high as we did. You know, there's some debate you, because of the a- impact in the bat, uh, there's some cases you can make for him as high as number two, but number four is where he lands for now.
1: All right. <clears throat> and the player who uh, made the biggest jump uh, that was already on the list last year, another race player.
3: Yeah, this one is Carson Williams, uh, another you know guy with the Rays, like you said, Jason, now at number 20. Uh, Carson Williams, I think the big question for him coming into the year was he strikes out a lot. And I talked to him last year at spring training at Disney World because Tampa Bay was – uh, in Disney World for a time last spring training. He he knew his swing and miss wasn't going to work. He struck out 168 times at single A in his first full season. Strikeouts are still an issue. Like he's still hovering around 30%. It didn't jump, which tends to happen from level to level. But the promising thing is the power is still playing. He hit 23 homers. That's up from 19 a year ago. Uh, he still stole 20 bags. He made it to the Arizona Fall League at the end of the year. The reason why we're pressing him is he continues to be one of the best defensive shortstops in the game. The power is still playing. It's such a weird profile because normally we talk about quick guys who can play shortstop who aren't that powerful. You hope the power is going to come. It's already there for Carson Williams. He's got a swing that lifts the ball, plays into his power. uh, And we pushed him aggressively because of that. He might end up striking out 30% of the time everywhere he goes. But if the power is going to keep playing and he's going to be a gold glove style shortstop, that's really, really valuable. And the one thing I'll mention on that before we pivot to the next thing, talking to Tampa Bay people, I asked, like, you're the Rays. You guys value versatility more than any other organization I know. Have you guys talked about moving Williams off, like maybe at least getting him some time at second base just for another look just in case? They're like, no, he's too good defensively. We would never move him. I shouldn't say never, but for right now, we're only talking shortstop with Carson Williams. We believe in the glove that much.
2: He could slide over and play second tomorrow. I mean, honestly – He's so gifted defensively. I don't. I don't think that's going to take much adjustment. You know, I understand the double play is different, but like, I'm. I wouldn't be worried. I think there are certain players of that defensive caliber who don't need a lot of time to shift over. If for whatever personnel reasons he would have to.
1: All right. So those are a couple of guys uh, that obviously we're high on uh, relative to last year. And now I want you guys to talk a little bit about uh, a particular prospect on the list that. Each of you individually is high on. Jim, You haven't heard from you in a while. Several minutes. (laughs) I've checked out. I went and had lunch. Now
0: I'm back. I'm going to take Owen Casey. I was looking at our, you know, we start this process, Sam and Jonathan and I each do a top 125 and we combine them in a spreadsheet and then we move them around subjectively and then we get a bunch of feedback. And I was looking to see who is the guy that I was more bullish on. I guess compared to Jonathan and Sam, and that would be Owen Casey with the Cubs. We, we, we really should have a tally. Like you could just get a soundboard and play my Owen Casey soundbite here because I feel like I've talked about him on several podcasts in the last six months. But I, I think he's one of the best power hitters on the entire list. He was part of the U Darvish trade with the Padres. He's, you know, the Cubs got four prospects, none of whom had played above rookie ball for U Darvish. And, and Casey's the one who, who's really hit. He was one of the youngest guys in the Southern League last year, and he finished in the top five in all three slash categories as well as home runs. His exit velocities are, are way up there. The, the high-end exit velocities compare favorably with the highest high-end exit velocities in the big leagues. He's 6'3". He's got a lot of leverage. He's learning to pull and lift the ball more. He had a like almost a 40% strikeout rate early last year when they were using the pre-tacked balls in the Southern League. And that went way down after the balls were were more of the normal baseballs. I mean, I think there is going to be some swing and miss, but I do think this could be a thirty five plus home run guy in the big leagues. And, and I think the Cubs outfield of the future, you know, Pete Cr- Armstrong's the more famous guy and a great defender, and he can do some things offensively too. He'll be in center, and I think Owen Casey will man one of the corners alongside him. I, I think this guy's really going to hit. Um, I think he's going to have a monster year in AAA where offense is always up in, in recent years. And I wouldn't be surprised if he was in the Cubs lineup at some point toward the end of the season. And he's still only going to be 21 this year.
1: All right. Sam, who's your current prospect crush?
3: Yeah, uh, mine is, and I might be stealing an answer from Jim later, but this is somebody who, you know, consistently when I was writing up, uh, you know, from my 10 orgs on the list, this is a guy who I was very excited to get to and got some really good feedback on was Dylan Lesko of the San Diego Padres. We have him at number 56 right now. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that he is still kind of coming off Tommy John surgery. Uh, You know, he had Tommy John right before the 2022 draft. The Padres brought him along last year. He ended up the the year pitching three different levels, ended at high A. If you want to ding him for something, he walked 22 guys in 33 innings, which, you know, everybody I talk to says that's just Tommy John coming back, like regaining feel. But the stuff was really, really good. It was every bit the stuff that people were seeing in his amateur days. Uh, The fastball was 92 to 96. He was touching 98. The changeup was absolutely deadly. Continues to be a plus-plus pitch. Uh, Might just be the best changeup in all of minor league baseball. That makes him basically split-proof. Like lefties struck out 38.8% of the time against him last year. That's lefties. Like righties have a difficult time with him too because he's got a fastball with ride. The curveball can flash really well. Uh, It just lacks consistency. But I think when that comes around, he's going to have three at least above average pitches. He just needs to regain that command. I mean, looking at it this year, the goal is for him to get 100 innings in pro ball. If that happens and he's striking out guys at rates he was last year and he's regaining some of that control, I mean, this is a guy we're we're talking about who could jump thirty, at least thirty spots in this list. Uh, you know, we just need to see it on the field again. But all the pieces are there for Dylan Lesko.
2: All right, and Jonathan, who's your guy? I was kind of trying to decide whether I wanted to be a homer or uh, or nepotism, fake nepotism. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, your two I'm, favorite I'm, routes. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be a homer, and I, you know, I did the same thing as Jim. I kind of looked over like how we initially voted. And I'm going to go with Tamar Johnson, who we still had at number 44, uh, but it, you know, it was a drop. Um, I, I still believe in his bat. I mean, this is a guy who coming you know, out of the, the 2022 draft, people were talking about him being one of the best pure high school hitters we had seen in a very, very long time, uh, crazy grades on, on the pure hit tool. And then he came out in his first full season and kind of struggled Uh, with making contact, which was really hard to fathom given how everyone gushed about his hand-eye coordination, his swing decisions, his ability to make hard contact. The Pirates are certain that it was coming out of the gate he was hurt and he missed reps getting ready for the season. So he started out the year, he was striking out like 35% of the time through the end of May. From that point on, that strikeout rate dropped to 23%. He'll he ended up drawing over 100 walks. He earned a promotion up to high A. Uh, the the Tamara Johnson in, in those last few months, I think, is what we're going to see this year. He's going to start the year in Greensboro, I would imagine, and put up just stupid numbers there. Uh, it is, that is a very nice place to hit. He's going to work his way to, to double A, uh, he doesn't turn twenty until june and i think we're gonna see the the hit and power combination that we thought the pirates were getting uh so that's the i, I think he's gonna kind of move back up uh up the list after sort of falling down a little bit we need to see him do it uh which is why we moved him down but i i think uh i think he's gonna move his way back up
1: all right and something that uh pretty much everyone is interested in, well, I don't know about pretty much everyone. A lot of people are interested uh, when these lists come out is which teams are best represented. Uh, Sam, can you break that down for us?
3: I can, once I get my mic to work. Uh, It's a funny thing about on podcasts you need a mic for that uh yeah i wrote up a story about the five clubs with the most top 100 prospects uh i think this might have come as a little bit of a surprise to people we had the cubs at number one with seven prospects now this is not our firm system rankings i want to be fully clear about that this is just who had the most prospects on the top 100 the comes cubs, cubs come in with seven uh they certainly helped their case by getting Michael Bush, uh, in a trade with the Dodgers this offseason, but that helped push them above the Orioles at number two, who had six and then three clubs had five. That's the Reds, the Pirates and the San Diego Padres. The Padres are interesting in that regard because you think back to the 2022 Juan Soto blockbuster that was supposed to obliterate their farm system. Then they signed Ethan Salas. They developed guys like, uh, You know, Dylan Lesko, who I mentioned before, Robbie Snelling really well. Jackson Merrill continues to be top 15 prospect for us. And they pick up Drew Thorpe when they traded Juan Soto this offseason. So they now have five. Uh, You know, when you look at this through prospect points, which is Jackson Holiday gets 100 points for the Orioles because he's number one. Uh, Jackson Churio gets the Brewers 99 because he's number two. And onward down. The Orioles move back into number one at 444 followed by the Cubs at number two, Padres at number three, the Brewers, who we haven't mentioned, at 288 because of Jackson Trurio at two, Jefferson Caro, Jacob Misorowski, Tyler Black, and the Tigers in at number five at 284. These are just multiple ways we kind of break down the list, kind of look at it, who has the most prospects. I think the Cubs are interesting at number one, just because you look at who they have and it's... A lot of acquisitions. You know, we talked about Michael Bush there for a second. Uh, Some of their other guys that they have on this list, Pete Crow Armstrong, they got in a trade from the Mets. Cade Horton was their first-round pick in 2022. Owen Casey, they got in a trade with the Padres. Bush, who we mentioned, Matt Shaw was their first-round pick last year. Kevin Alcantara from the the Yankees in a trade a few years ago. And then James Triantos is a draft pick of theirs from 2021, a second-rounder. Um, so they've done a nice job of picking guys in the draft, but also supplementing them in in trades and developing these guys, getting them to the next level. I'm really excited to see what Matt Shaw can do this year, um, but it's a very deep Cubs list at a time where, you know, we're not talking about them as a full rebuild, but the pieces are there if they want to go that direction to be fully homegrown and really good moving forward.
1: You guys uh, know the last time the Cubs had as many as seven top 100 prospects? I'll say 2015? Yeah, that would be my guess. Yeah, uh, mid season 2014. Yeah, twenty preseason 2014, they had seven, mid season 2014, eight, and then 2015, preseason six. And uh, what happened shortly after that?
2: Well, I think they may have won a World Series, Jason.
0: The, the difference no, between the farm system then and now is they have more pitching in the system now. Back then was, I, I think, probably the best. Collection of position prospects I've ever seen in one farm system, and they obviously parlayed that into a world championship. And you know, not only do the Cubs have seven guys on our top 100, which leads all teams, I believe they also lead all teams with an additional four players on our top 10 prospects list. So if you count the top 10 prospects list, I think by they position, had a, you mean? A, Yeah, but top 10, yeah, top 10 by position list that we did as a prelude to the top 100, and there are certain positions on there. Catcher, first, second, third, and left-handed pitchers. They don't have ten guys on the top one hundred, so we have extra names. They had four more guys. They had Moises Bastarres, a catcher, Matt Mervis, a Hayden McGarry at first base, which is the least prospecty position. And then Jordan Wicks, who's already had big league success among the left-handers. So um, the, the good news is my Cubs top thirty is almost done um, <laughs> before before uh, before I even really get started. So that's that's the good news. But yeah, so I mean, they
3: have depth even beyond the top one hundred as well. And they had Jackson Ferris, who they moved to the Los Angeles Dodgers in the Michael Bush trade. So Just for
2: patty's sake.
3: Right. Yeah. They've dipped into that prospect pool already uh, to help the major league club. And they, and you know, on that
0: subject, you know, I mean, and you, you talked about, you know, they, they have ammunition. They have more outfielders than they have spots right now. I mean, not only do they have Happ and Suzuki signed to longer term contracts in the big leagues. I mean, you have Crow Armstrong and Casey and Alcantara and, I suspect that James Triantos may wind up in the outfield when all is said and done because they have a bunch of infielders also, but it'll be kind of interesting to see what the Cubs lineup looks like in a couple of years. It, it could be a very
3: young, exciting lineup. They could be in the pro- have the same problem as the Orioles right now. I mean, that, we talked about the Orioles doing that for a while too, right? Like they've just been too deep with infield prospects that somebody's got to be dealt. Eventually it hasn't happened yet though.
2: It right. moves a lot to me and we don't have to dive into this, but you know, talk about the Cubs, the pirates high up on the list, the brewers, you mentioned Sam, in terms of prospect points, even the Reds farm system. I mean, it, Daniel central's is fun in terms of, uh, you know, I did a di- by division breakdown and they were the, the best di- division in terms of amount of top 100 guys, prospect points, however you want to slice it. Uh, it's a wide open division, and I think these young players in this next wave are really going to determine who who rises to to the top of the NL Central over the next several
3: years. No, I think that's just Middle America bias on our point or on our part. Yeah, we're often accused of that. Yeah. Well, Jonathan and I are based in you
0: know National League Central. That doesn't cities, So I think that's what it is. So Sam's Central gonna, bias. So Sam's going to move to Milwaukee just to, to to solidify it even further, so he can be closer to Jackson Churio and company.
1: Your bag, Sam. All right. While Sam uh, moves across the country, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to answer a bunch of questions about the top 100 prospects list. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, Sam Dykstra, uh, talking top 100 prospects. New list just came out last week. And as is always the case, a lot of people have a lot of questions, a lot of opinions, a lot of things to say about the list. And we're going to answer some of those questions now, starting with this one from Andrew Johnston, uh, at Thunderbird Ray on Twitter, Andrew says, <clears throat> "What changed to push Aiden Miller and Matt Shaw ahead of Jacob Wilson?" Oh, I like these questions. We, we, uh, you guys get these every year, right? When your pre-draft rankings and their draft order had them behind him, Wilson came into pro ball and succeeded in the exact fashion he was meant to, and reached high A.
2: What gives? What does give? Um. The guys who do the draft rankings are hacks. That's me and Jim. In case people are wondering, yeah, who does this? Um, here's the thing: this happens every year, as you pointed out. Uh, the draft rankings are not a set in stone situation. Um, so I'll start. I'll, I'll start with that. Uh, some of it is also because we are talking to different subsets of evaluators. You know, we're, we're Talking only to amateur scouts and where they see players as the draft approaches, a couple of things happen. They get into pro ball and do certain things. And while we don't, we try not to use too much of performance in that first summer to impact that. And then hearing from people on the professional scouting evaluator side what they think about in their first looks of some of these players figures into it. Now, with these players, in particular, it's not that Jacob Wilson did anything wrong. He, he did have a, a strong debut, you know, drew a lot of walks as he always does, didn't strike out like he always does. He hit 333 while making it to high A, as he, as he pointed out. And the one question about Jacob Wilson, and, and let me be clear, I'm probably the high guy on Jacob Wilson. I am not overly concerned about impact. I think he's going to be fine for who he is. And that's maybe a different conversation, but that's the one question is, you know, how much is he going to impact the baseball at this level? The two players who are now ahead of him, Matt Shaw made it to double a, by the way, if we're going to talk about, Oh, Jacob Wilson did what he did and made it to high a Matt Shaw made it to double a and showed that he has no problem impacting the baseball. And, and, you know, he's super toolsy. He runs, uh, You know, so that's one reason. Aiden Miller, you know, I think we had uh, low, we had kind of low on the amateur list because he didn't play his senior year of high school and it was a little hard to to get a sense of how the industry valued him. Probably, you know, erroneously, you know, from he did enough the previous summer on the showcase circuit that he should have been higher but when you know the way we do our rankings is we're talking to scouts who are out there seeing players, and players and 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 scouts and teams were a little reluctant to rank him too high because they hadn't seen him and they were not you know they weren't going solely on the previous summer. Had he been healthy in Florida for his senior year in high school, he very likely would have been a top ten pick. So uh, I think the fact that he came out and he performed well and he looked really good. The Phillies are very, very excited. And that's, I think those are the reasons why those guys floated ahead of Jacob Wilson. And they were bunched relatively close together on, 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 the, uh, on the draft list. So it wasn't like there was that much separating, uh, separating the, the three of them. Wilson was 10, uh, Miller was 13, and Shaw was 16. Thanks, Jim, for, for those numbers. So, so, so next year,
0: what, what, what we're going to pick on Thunderbird Ray here. He, he would just <laughs> like us to do our draft rankings in June. Or July when we finalize them, and then we won't change them at all. We'll just keep the guys in that order until not, well. That's not, that's not what Thunderbird Ray so is.
1: That's not what gives, Thunderbird Ray is saying. Well, he wants to know. He wants to that's know what, what he gives. Is. So, well, but he, he it's he offered. I know it's nuanced, more nuanced. So. I
0: know it's more nuanced. I'm sorry, Thunderbird. Ray. Leave Thunderbird <laughs> Ray alone. So.
1: And let's move on to Showtime cards uh, at Showtime Nine with a C in there. S C H O T I M E. Uh, what does Victor Scott to got gotta do? He doesn't need hype. He leaves it on the field. Take that into consideration for once. And these guys are before, we're going, Sam, before we're going Sam answers salty this right off the bat. Before Sam answers this, I just want
0: to say, ask Showtime Nine. I'm gonna fight <laughs> I guess I'm firing back. If he doesn't need hype, why does he need to be on the top 100? So, like, he, he can just leave it on the field. Anyway, Sam, I'll let you answer this question. you our Cardinals.
1: Jim, Jim Cardinals is our uh, bodyguard here. Yeah. I'm not.
0: I'm not, not going to fire on Stevie D though. When Stevie D asks a question. I won't fire on Stevie D because he asks
3: polite, respectful questions. <laughs> well, listen. I mean, like I, I get what's at the nut of this question, right? Like the the quite like Victor Scott II, who was on this show this off season, one of the best, uh, you know, guest interviews we've had. At least I know I'm only on here occasionally, but like that was a lot of fun. Him and Chandler, top ten, yeah. The guy led the minor leagues in stolen bases last year. Simpson and him actually ended up tied with 94 stolen bases. They took one away from Victor Scott II. Uh, What plays in the game now, and I talked about this on on the post-game show the other day, is speed. Speed is more valuable than it's ever been. And Victor Scott II is a legit 80-grade runner. He loves going. Once he gets on first base, everybody in the ballpark knows he's going, and you still can't throw him out. That's tremendous. It's plus-plus defense and center, too. He didn't strike out a lot at high A or double-A last year. He's always kind of hovering around that 110 to 120 WRC-plus level. Didn't crack our top 100 because I do have some questions on what kind of power hitter he's going to be. He had nine homers last year. Didn't have an isolated slugging percentage above 130 at either stop. It went up at double-A, but the Texas league is more hitter friendly uh, than it's ever been. And then if you look at his splits, you know, he had nine homers. None of them were against left-handed batters last year. He actually only had two extra base hits total against lefties. He had 33 hits. Only two of those 33 went for extra bases. He slugged 353 against left-handers. That's something he's going to need to work on. Now the guy bunts for hits really well. He, you know, can steal a first base if it's a ground ball to the left side or something like that. He's somebody who could very easily get on this list very quickly. Um, but speed alone, even in today's game, isn't enough to get you on the top 100. Defense alone isn't enough to make that happen. He's not quite the five-tool player I think a lot of people want him to be. But he's one of the most electric players you're ever going to see on a minor league field especially. And it wouldn't surprise me if he's the Cardinals' you know, starting center fielder by the second half. I just want to see the power play a little bit more. Because impact in the ball as as good as speed is, it does play a huge role in uh, creating value today too. So, Victor Scott II, second you could see him on the top one hundred very quickly, uh, in two thousand twenty four he's just off the list for now.
2: He does everything quickly.
3: He does everything quickly. That is fair.
2: When
1: uh, Sam, when you said the word bunt, it like it made me sit up straight. I was I think that might be the first time that word is ever been used on this podcast i feel i feel like (laughs) we've never said the word bunt
3: i mean honestly maybe this is something whenever when and if he does make the top 100 we should just put together a compilation of his bunts like they're really good yeah it's (laughs) there are people out there who like that kind of stuff and uh victor scott will certainly provide
1: all right here comes stevie d our old friend stevie d uh frequent contributor to our mailbag uh, we may he may pop up again here later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stevie D asks, which prospects were the hardest to rank on the top 100 prospects list? Uh, all right, so uh, it, Jim, again, haven't heard from haven't heard from you in a while. I was getting dessert. so I, after <laughs> I had my lunch, so now, now I'm back again. But uh,
0: yeah, no, this is a great question because there's there's so many guys who are tough to rank, and I'm going to just pick one. I know I will in an upset. I will just name one. Um, for me, it's Jason Dominguez. He's just been hard to figure out. You know, most hyped international prospect ever. We, you know, he got off to kind of a slow start last year, hit 250 in Double A. We knocked him down the top 100. (laughs) Then he seemed like he immediately went on a tear after that. Got up to the big leagues. He homers off Justin Furlander in his first game. Hits three more homers the next seven games. Then he blows out his elbow, his non-throwing elbow. And his Tommy John surgery, that's going to sideline him for half the season. And and he's still tough for me to figure out. You know, you, you can always point to his age. He's young. I mean, he's only 20 last year and he made his major league debut. I think sometimes age is important, but I think sometimes too, we, we give guys almost too much slack. We're like, oh, he was young for his league. He held his own, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, for all of Jason Dominguez's prodigious power, which you can see in batting practice, he's got a career slugging percentage of 431 in the minor leagues. There are times where he will look really locked in at the plate and he's making good takes, he's making good swing decisions. And then there's other times where it looks like he's passive and guys are throwing fastballs right down the middle of the plate and he takes them. You know, I, I talked to scouts, you know, he he does draw walks, but is it is it discipline? Is it passivity? He does strike out. Guy runs well, and you could see him make some nice plays in, in center field. And I've seen him butcher balls at the futures game. I saw him butcher balls in the fall league. And we saw him in the fall league. And and the fall league stats don't matter a lot, and it's much very much hitters league he had one of the worst seasons of anybody in the fall league last year. He looked kind of tired and worn out and didn't really dominate. So he's just tough for me. You could see him really good. You could see him really bad. I I don't think we're going to see, you know, well above average tools across the board, which was the initial hype. but it might be solid tools across the board. But again, you could see him one week and he looks like an all-star and you could see him the next week. And you're like, what am I looking at here? So he, he to me, remains the toughest player and I it's we we're not going to read mean tweets but I got some mean tweets directed at me personally like like you know all Dominguez did was hit 4 homers in 8 big league games so I mean hey that's 81 homer power guys why do we only rank him
1: 41st on the list I don't know all right Jonathan toughest prospect in the top 100 for you to rank?
2: there were a few pitchers that were tough for me, but the guy that I'm going to focus on is Tink Hence, uh from the, from the Cardinals. The stuff is, is real. It's top notch stuff. He has the chance to have three plus pitches four usable pitches. Uh, he's shown the ability to, to miss a ton of bats. It's exciting stuff, but there, there's a bunch of qualifiers. I remember last, not, this past fall, but the previous fall, you know, he was in the falling, and everyone was excited except that it was like spotting Sasquatch. You know, he, he threw in nine games and eight and a third innings. You know, he came in for an inning, he threw four pitches, you know, he faced two batters, so it was hard to see. And that was coming off of a year in a ball, you know, granted as a teenager, but where he missed a ridiculous amount of bats commanded the ball well. So everyone was really excited, but he only threw 52 innings. So this last year, you know, he was, he was quite good in high a, and not nearly as good in double a. Uh, and you know, there could be a host of reasons for that again, super young, way ahead uh, of the curve from an age standpoint, S- still missed a decent amount of bats, but the command wasn't as good. He got hit a lot more. Um, he's still, you know, you know, only through 96 innings. Now that's a, a big step forward from the previous year. And I understand the Cardinals are trying to, to be cautious. He, he's, never thrown more than 80 some odd pitches in any one outing so there just a lot of question marks where I still love the stuff I just don't know exactly what he is and that made it harder for uh, for me to figure out where he should go on this list
1: this guy's already got a great name his real name is Markevian hence goes by tink hence and now you're trying to you're trying to double him sasquatch too many good names for one. It's play. funny because he's not oh,
2: the okay.
3: biggest guy in the world, so it's an ironic
1: nickname. G- uh, sorry, Sam, toughest uh, player for you to rank.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, Jim's trying to get me to move to Milwaukee, so I guess uh, <laughs> I will pick a Mo- Milwaukee brewer. That's Jacob Mizorowski. Uh, and I'll, I'll also steal a Jim line uh, in that Mizorowski might have the most electric stuff in the minor leagues right now uh, outside of Paul Skeen's. We have it ranked at number three. We have Mizorowski at 33 climbed three levels in his first full season last year, was a second rounder pick of uh, the Brewers last year, or in 2022, rather. Struck out 110 batters in 71 and a third innings. They shut him down late with some arm fatigue, but seems like everything should be good to go for 2024. It's really rough control. I mean, especially the higher he climbed, and guys are willing to lay off the stuff. But the fastball can be triple digits, It explodes up in the zone. He really yanks his slider really well. He's got a shorter cutter that plays off the slider. Uh, The curveball can flash pretty good. He has a changeup. He doesn't really need that much. But so if you look at the pure stuff, he should be like ace level potential here. But we just don't know he's going to throw in the zone enough. And if he's not getting that chase, then it's tougher to say he's going to be a starting pitcher at all. The comp I've been using is if that doesn't work, I honestly think he could be the right-handed version of Josh Hader, which we just saw Josh Hader sign a massive deal with the Astros. Relievers are have never been more valuable in baseball. So like there's still something to be said for Mizarowski's floor pushing him onto the top 100 and pushing him into the top 50, but his ceiling is immense. So trying to balance all that was really tough for us cuz you could if you think he's a reliever, he's probably in the bottom 50. If you think he's a no doubt starter, he's probably in the top 20. We trended more towards starter because, you know, there's still some belief that he can figure it out. It was just his first full season. Maybe he can iron out some of those concerns. Um, but he could either go gangbusters this year or tumble a little bit more if it looks like he's definitely headed to the pen.
1: All right. Let's, uh, let's answer one more here before we take a break. P Pino's Ball uh, asks, which Astros prospect has the best chance to make the top 100 list next? Astros, the only team without someone on this list. Is that why, is that why we're asking that question this way?
0: Probably. And you know, we'll, we'll throw in, you hit the soundboard, my usual disclaimer that we always rank the Astros low and they keep winning and have rookie of the year candidates. But I I do think we'll see Jacob Melton on this list uh, maybe even fairly early in the year. Yeah. It's interesting. I thought the Astros stole him in 2022 when they got him in the second round. They actually considered him with their first round pick where they took Drew Gilbert, who they, they later traded to the, to the Mets. And I thought Melton was, there were a bunch of outfielders that year and some of them were going to fall in the draft and and Melton was one of them. And he fell towards the end of the second round. A bunch of teams had, had uh, pre-draft agreements with players that they were going to take in the second round. So once he started to fall, he really kind of tumbled. They got him the 64th overall pick and he's really tooled up, you know, like last year's first full season in pro ball, got to double a, he had two forty five with 800 ops. That's not super exciting, but he had 23 homers and 46 steals in 99 games. And the underlying metrics in terms of the swing decisions and the quality contact were really good. So I, I, you know, talking to some analysts, both with the Astros and other teams who look at that type of stuff, they think that the numbers didn't even do justice to to the kind of year he had. So I think he's going to break out plus speeds, his best tool, could be solid or better tools across the board. And I do think we will see him on the top 100 prospects list uh, at some point this year.
1: Yeah, Jim, to your point about the Astros, uh, frequently having uh, among the fewest players in the top 100 prospects list, that's been the case uh, over the past 10 lists that we've put out, including preseason and midseason lists. They have not had, uh, they've only had more than one, uh, one time in the in those 10 lists. And that was, 10 lists ago back in mid season 2019. Uh, interestingly from 2004 through 2011, um, they had, they were shut out three times, had one, two times, and had two once. And then from, uh, 2012 through 2019, uh, big spike, they averaged five per list and then, uh, sense of, of, uh, once again they, I think they've had they've had the fewest number of top 100 prospects uh, since 2019.
0: And it's really a tale there, there's two different things going on there they, they probably drafted worse than any team in the 2000s, which is why they went from a consistent playoff team to the worst team in baseball. They just had terrible drafts getting almost nothing out of them um, but, but recently and then, you know we, we talk about this, like they, they sign these older international pitchers for bargains and they aren't highly touted and they wind up getting rookie of the year votes or Hunter Brown's a fifth round pick or they trade for Yainer Diaz or Jeremy Pena's a third round pick. Uh, you know, they had two years where they didn't have a first or second round pick because of the, the Chris Correa penalty uh, for, for breaking into the Cardinals' uh, computer systems. Um, but I think... The lack of top 100 guys now does not reflect the talent flow. You know, the Chaz McCormicks of the world. Not that he was, he was a lower round pick and he's not a superstar, but he's been a very effective big league player for him. And for whatever reason, the Astros keep taking players who don't pop up on our radar or, or really other publications' radars very much. And then you look up and they always seems like they have guys getting Rookie of the Year votes. So um, the current era of not getting representation is a much better era in terms of actually having talent than the previous era.
1: If that makes sense. Perfect sense, Jim. Uh, What else makes sense is for us to take a break and come back and answer more of these questions. We're going to do that right after this on the MLB pipeline podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. We are answering questions from the mailbag about the top 100 prospects list. Uh, Sam Dykstra has joined us here today uh, with our uh, typical cast of gurus, Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. I'm Jason Ratliff, not in the guru category. Uh, we have a question Don't here. Short. Well, wow. uh, all right. We we have a question here from Aaron Burkhart. Uh, another salty one. Bring it he doesn't even he doesn't even use the first name. Shanuel reaches base in his first 29 MLB games in a row to the tune of a 402 on base percentage obliterates the minors albeit with limited exposure and he's 95th what gives? And he
2: didn't say what gives but I'm going to attack that. It was implied. It was
0: implied. It was clearly implied. We're going to have We're a new segment.
2: There. I think we should just call what the mailba- the uh, the mailbag segment just call it what gives? <sighs> Here's the thing. Here's what gives. I like Nolan Channell, friend of the pod. Um, you know, we, really good interview. I, I like how he goes about things. But, you know, just because he had a high on base percentage during his time in the big leagues doesn't mean that he's belongs higher on a list. You know, I, I think that... The Angels have done a very good job lately of identifying advanced players and getting them to the big league, getting them to the big leagues uh, quickly, and them having some success. Acnato, you know, held his own. Uh, the fact that Nolan Schnurwell got to the big leagues last year, you know, weeks after, uh, you know, what about a month after being drafted, is is amazing. We talked about the limited exposure, right? One hundred and nine big league at bats um you talk about the on base you did not mention the fact that he slugged 330 and hit one homer and i don't want to like i, I don't want to sit here and like pick apart Nolan all and shiny. Well, i think he's going to be a good major league hitter and i do mm-hmm. think the power is going to come and he knows uh that that is the area of his game that he needs to work on the power showed up at florida atlantic um you know he had 19 homers in, in an otherworldly junior year that launched him into the first round in the first place but You know, he has had a grand total of 183 professional at-bats. So it's just you can't go based only on that. And the one thing that he has not done is impact the baseball at any level. Right? He had one homer in 97 plate appearances uh, in the minors. He had one homer in 132 plate appearances in the big leagues. Like I said, I think it's going to be there just we're not convinced enough to run him up uh, the list just based on the fact that he got on base in every game he played. And, and, and you know, that gives him a very, very high floor. I think he is going to be a solid big league performer, but it, until he shows that he can impact the ball, it's going to be a tough profile for base, which is the only spot he can, you know, play defensively in the in the big leagues. That's what gives when you <laughs> tag on it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, next
1: question comes from iPop Editor. At iPop Editor on Twitter, David Jones asks, Thomas Segazi was your number four second base prospect but missed the top 100. How close was he to making the list? What gives? No, that doesn't work there. He didn't say that. Yeah
3: maybe that's how we do uh, mailbags going forward it's just hashtag what gives and we'll we'll find it eventually uh yeah it's thomas to jc uh number 4 on our on our list the the thing about thomas is DeJ- like the guy did really really well in the texas league was the texas league mvp uh it's a clear above average hit tool for him i think it's just average power in the end and in terms of like how close is he to the list i think he's in that 101 to 110 group i mean i'm doing a story later this week about the 10 guys who just missed and so JC got some support not a ton of support to make the list but enough for us to think about it and you know the toughest thing to do in baseball is is hit really well he's a career 298 hitter in the minor leagues he slugged 530 last year 26 homers which was a career high for him I just wonder where he's going to play defensively he might end up being a utility type which you know is is useful in some way um, but this isn't a fantasy ranking. We're not just be- ranking guys based off their ability to to hit. It's are you going to be a good defender at third base? Uh, I have some questions about that. Is he a good enough athlete to be really good at second? Uh, I have some questions about that. He could fill in at short in a pinch, maybe. It's just the glove questions, I think, that kind of hold him back. Or he needs to have a true plus hit or power tool, which I don't think is quite there. You can't argue with, like, the back of the baseball card results, and that's certainly putting him in the conversation. And again, going back to like relative to age, he's only going to be—he's still only going to be 21 on opening day. He's turning 22 on April 10th, uh, so he's ahead of the curve there. I, I expect him to be in St. Louis at some point this summer. I just don't know where that's going to be defensively, and I think that's something that kind of keeps him off the list for now.
2: I might encourage him to look at a list of former Texas League MVPs, by the way, before using that as a selling point.
0: Well, wow, you're getting salty now, Jonathan.
2: Ah, that's what I think. Gives. We should. Let, I think.
0: I think we should let Jonathan <laughs> ask a salty question before we're done.
1: Well, I was gonna. I was gonna try to let Sam keep rolling there because he yeah, touched sure. on uh, Sorry. story, uh, his, a story that uh, he's gonna do on guys that just missed the list. And Stevie D wants to know who are some of the best prospects not on the top 100 prospects list.
3: Yeah, so some of these are guys we've already talked about, right? Like Victor Scott II, um, Thomas Ajc just off the list. Jackson Ferris, we mentioned kind of before uh, in terms of going from the Cubs to the Dodgers. Uh, he's probably going to be in consideration at, at some point soon as somebody who is on our left-handed list. Also on that list, Robert Gasser, who was among the minor league leader in strikeouts last year. Uh, he's more of an argument for floor. Like, I could see him easily being a starting pitcher in the major leagues. It's just as he a four or a five. That's not really exciting to get on to the top 100, but I do feel comfortable saying he's going to be a starter, which is not something we can say about everybody on the top 100 necessarily. Um, the one that I think is going to interest people is, and you guys have talked about this on the show when you had Jesse Sanchez on a few weeks ago, Leo de Vries was our top international prospect in this class, signs for a whole lot of money with the Padres, is kind of in that Ethan Solace bucket right now I mean Solis is more advanced defensively uh, plays you know an even more primary position than DeVries but all the pieces are there for like you know we're getting some Jose Ramirez comps on DeVries because the bat is that good Uh, even if he has to move to second base that's still a really good profile so he's kind of on the outside knocking in for right now some catchers to throw out real quick Jim mentioned Moises Ballesteros Edgar Caro is another one that I'm really interested in Uh, He went from the Angels to the White Sox system. The Angels, as they tend to do, got really aggressive with him, pushing him to double-A Rocket City last year and saw him kind of struggle with that adjustment. I think there's still the potential for him to be an above-average hitter. Uh, We'll see what he's going to be defensively. He needs to be at least average there. He might not be there yet, but returning to double a couldn't be the worst thing in the world for him at his age. Uh, and I would not be surprised if Edgar Caro hits his way back onto those list based off what we saw in 2022, instead of 2023, where he was pushed a little too aggressively for me.
1: Okay. Uh, got a question, uh, that each of you can address that I want to wrap up with here, but quickly, there is, there's is another question in here that I want you all to answer, but in a word, in a word, uh, Derek Lively asks, who do you think will end up being better? Evan Carter, or Wyatt Langford, Jim, in a word. With no explanation? Well, that's already Ooh far too many words. I can see the smoke coming if, out if of Jim. You, here if, you right now, can, right. if
0: you can explain it in one word, sure. I, I'm going I'm gonna, to gonna just break the rules. I'm going to use one <laughs> oh. word. I, I know you guys Cut all are expecting me to pick Evan Carter because I love Evan Carter, and he's already had success in the big leagues and part of the World Series Championship. I think Wyatt Langford has a higher floor, and I will bet... On the higher floor, and in an upset, I will say
3: Wyatt Langford.
1: All right, we're just we're going to edit that down to just Langford.
3: I, I feel like Carter has the higher floor. No, like Carter, he, if he Retires tomorrow, he's a World Series champ.
0: You know what I mean? Like I, I, I love look, Evan Carter. Yeah, you know I love Evan Carter. I, I know, just think Langford's got a higher floor, so I'm going to take Langford. But you are you taking Evan Carter?
3: I. I think when I originally voted, I voted for Langford because of the ceiling, not necessarily because of the floor. I think Carter has a higher floor. But but, but that's Lankford not the question. Higher... Who's having the better career? Right? Is that what the? Well, question he is? said
1: he's taking Langford based on the higher ceiling.
3: Yeah, I'm taking okay. him, I'm taking Langford for a different reason than you, but I'm still taking Langford.
2: Way way too many words here.
3: So here's the thing.
2: <laughs> I take Langford also, which begs the question: Why is Wyatt Langford not ahead of Evan Carter on the top 100? Let's move on.
0: There's a the question I want to – Jonathan got his question in.
2: All
0: right. Hey, they're neck and neck. It's very tough.
1: This question comes from The Dog Bites, uh, Twitter handle, at Bulldog Bites Man. And, and that's
0: Butler. That's Butler, not Georgia, just in case you were wondering. I, oh, I, I, looked oh, it up. I was going to say. Okay. I, I, I did the research. It, he, it's, it's a Butler Bulldog, which is fine. Yeah. But Butler is an acceptable fine. bulldog.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, Bulldog Bites Man asks, who is the most likely hitter and pitcher from the back half to enter next season in the top 10? And I will be terser here than you might
0: expect to make up for my Evan Carter, Wyatt Langford response being longer than a word. I'm going to take Aiden Miller. We touched on it earlier. He was the best performer, uh, office performer on the high school showcase circuit before the 2023 draft. I think he's going to hit and then Sam had mentioned Dylan Lesko. We thought Dylan Lesko was the best pitcher in the 2022 draft, high school or college, before he got hurt. It, it's not just stuff. He's super advanced. I don't think, I think because he's so advanced, the layoff from Tommy John is not going to affect him as much as it might affect other people. And I wouldn't be shocked if we have a bunch of graduations and Dylan Lesko is the highest ranked pitching prospect in baseball going into 2025.
1: That was nice and tight, Jim. Thank you, Sam. Okay, Jonathan. it doesn't matter to me
2: um Jonathan
3: go you look ready
2: uh, sure uh I'm gonna take Matt Shaw who we talked about uh as as my hitter I just you know he's super advanced he's got a lot of tools uh, more than enough power he can run I, I think he may end up playing third base in Chicago maybe at some point this year even so uh I think he can make a huge jump up because of his performance I had a tough time finding a pitcher who i really believe is going to jump into the top 10 but i'll uh, once again play my pittsburgh card i'm going to take bubba chandler former former two-way player former two sports standout another year just focusing on pitching the pirates were thrilled with how he finished last year and think he's
3: ready to take a huge jump forward both in terms of stuff and his use of that stuff And then for me, I will go with two guys from the 2023 draft. Uh, First on the hitter side, Colt Emerson, who's at number 87 for us. Might have been one of the guys we got the most positive feedback on, of like make sure he's on this list. Was a uh, number 22 pick last year, but it feels like it's a plus hit tool from the left side. Can be athletic enough to play shortstop. Showed a really good approach in a small sample last year in pro ball between the Arizona league and the California league, nearly walking as many times as he struck out. Um, but I just feel that hit tool could really push Colt Emerson further and further higher up the list this year. And then on the pitching side, I'm kind of in that same bucket uh, with Jonathan, you know, I, again, I believe in in Dylan Lesko, but Jim took him already. So I'm going to go with Noble Meyer, who's number 57 on our list right now. 10th overall pick. Uh, The fastball could be plus, although there's some questions about how that's going to play. The slider is a plus pitch. He's got really good control. He has size at six foot five. Uh, You know, the Marlins, I know it's a different, a little bit of a different regime now, but like they helped develop Yuri Perez, who's really tall. Uh, Noble Meyer, also really tall right-handed pitcher. They're going to need to mold him. They're going to need him to be a really good uh, pitcher because there's not many stars in this system right now. Uh, so there will be a lot of attention paid to Noble Meyer, but I think, you know, if he pitches as, as we believe he can and gets some of the, you know, shows that fastball and slider, we could be pushing him up this list between his size and command.
1: All right. And I lied. I'm tacking on one more question. Bonus questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> nice today. And I, I, want, I want you to answer this one because we had some, it's a little newsy. We had a trade uh, that involved the top 100 prospect. And uh, this question pertains to that. So, Andy Hurlovsky, we're going to answer your question, which is want to know your thoughts on – oh, this isn't even a question. It's just a comment. Want to know wow. your thoughts on Gabriel Gonzalez as a prospect. Was excited to see him as a part of the Polanco package as a Twins fan.
2: What yeah. gives? What? <laughs> no, that doesn't – What gives with no question mark in that question? Um, You know, he's interesting <sighs> – he – I don't want to, like, rain on the parade of the excitement. You know, he was a guy that was – I think we all have guys on the top 100. Like, mm, I don't know if he's going to last or see – he's going to have to come out and show that it's going to work at the next level. He makes a ton of contact. Now, he's only 20 for the entirety of the year and has been moved pretty quickly. The approach suffered a little bit when he moved up to high A, but he doesn't strike out. There's a ton of contact the Mariners had thought more power was going to show up than it has already. Uh, he, you know, he's not like tall, lanky, projectable, so it's all going to be about the bat. He's a corner outfield profile only, so the, you, know, you really want the power to come. There is time for that to take a step forward, and I think that's where the excitement is. If you start with the basis of a really good knack for making contact and he brings that with him to Minnesota – I think that uh, he could take another step forward and the power could start to come, especially if he continues to stay on top of, uh, you know, of his conditioning and, and maximizing the athleticism that he does have.
1: All right. Now that is going to do it. Thanks to everybody uh, for all the questions. Thanks for uh, to everyone for watching the show, following along, uh, you know, looking at the lists and uh, we appreciate you. Uh, all the interest that, that goes into this. That's gonna do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. If you're not enjoying the show, what gives? Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.